Hello there, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Canyons Are Calling podcast. I'm Charles Jocelyn, your host for the show. Thank you to the people that have reached out to me already about your interest in the show and your ideas for conversations coming up. It really warms my heart, and I'm going to definitely get two episodes out a month so that you guys will have these adventure stories. Um, today's episode, we're going to talk to Justin Pugh. Justin is a canyoneer, a caver, a rock climber, a backpacker, and also a filmmaker. And I met Justin in Colorado in 2019 in the URA um, Canyoneering Festival. We actually just happened to run into him when Tom and I were doing Lower Oak Canyon. And they had done the middle section and we kind of met up with them when we were gearing up to start our canyon. And so we, their team let us join them, which was really kind of them. And we finished the canyon with them. And then later that night, I found out that he had made a film about canyoneering in Death Valley called First Descent. And it was a really interesting film about this guy, Scott Sweeney. And so I thought that I would interview him about the movie. And then our next episode following will be an interview with Scott Sweeney himself. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Please feel free to share it with your friends. Help me grow this canyoneering podcast. Thanks. Hey, I'm going to Death Valley in a few weeks, and I wish I could find a silo for my rope. I've checked out a few places, and they're all sold out. Hey, did you hear? Emily just came out with a new Seco rope bag. That'd be perfect for Death Valley. A Seco rope bag? What's that? The Seco rope bag is designed specifically for dry canyons. It's made of cordura and vinyl, so it's more lightweight and compact than the ones made with foam. Wow, that does sound perfect. Where can I find them? Most of the retail places that sell Emily Canyon gear should have them in stock, or you can find them at canyoneeringusa.com. Cool, thanks for the information on the new product. I really love Emily Canyon gear. I'm going to check right now. Cool, I'll have a link for them in the show notes, so it'll make it easy for you to find out more about them. Well, anyway, should we get started? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Okay, cool. So if we could start out just by you kind of introducing yourself and telling us what you do, that'd be cool. Uh, yeah, my name is Justin Pugh. Uh, I am a filmmaker. Uh, I'm a canyoneer. I also do rock climbing um, and caving as well. Those are some of my uh, main outdoor activities. I also do hiking and just other general general outdoor stuff as well. Cool. So where do you live? Where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Kentucky um, and wasn't really introduced to the outdoors until I moved to California around 2007 uh, is when I moved to California. Um, and then it wasn't about, it was about 2009 is when I started doing stuff outside when I kind of quote unquote found the mountains and found the desert and all that. Um so, uh, yeah, grew up in Kentucky. Um, family didn't really do anything outdoorsy or anything. Um, our idea of a camping trip was kind of pitching a tent in the backyard and never really did anything more than that until, uh, I went out on a trip to the Mojave National Preserve in 
January and froze my ass off for a couple of nights, but uh, managed to have a great time. Isn't it weird how suffering somehow just brings out the joy in life? Uh, I don't think suffering is necessarily <laughs> like the one criteria that's needed to uh, to find enjoyment <laughs> or connection with people. But I think if you find something that you find intriguing enough to not be scared away from the discomfort or suffering in a slightly more extreme example, uh, then I think right. it says something. I think it says something about the 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 value of your connection to that experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Somehow it's like the most epic adventures that we remember the most. Yeah. So I kind of have this theory. It's like, so I feel that, that it was easier to connect with people on trips before cell coverage became everywhere. So like once you got out of the city, like, you, you know, you throw your friends in, 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 in the car and your car pull out there and, um, you know, everybody slowly kind of puts their phones away as like reception falls off and then you just talk with people and then you really kind of get a good camaraderie. Um, and then that as cell reception got better then I think like you need to have, in my experience, you need to have a more extreme trip to really, to really, uh, to really, to, to really make it memorable. I think it has to be a little bit more in the extreme nature and what by that, I mean, you basically have to get out of cell reception. Uh, a few years ago, there was a camping trip that I planned for some of my non, some of my friends who are not really like, they didn't do any kind of crazy camping or anything like that, which is fine. You don't ever really have to. And we were, we were friends and we just wanted to get out. So um, they had the brilliant idea of wanting to go camping on Memorial Day weekend um, which makes it difficult when you're going to find a place to go camping because uh, it's one of the most popular weekends in the entire year. Right. First weekend of the summer. <laughs> yeah, right? So, uh, yeah, exactly. It's like the official kickoff of summer. And and I, that's generally a weekend where I, like, I, I just kind of avoid trips that weekend just because, you know, I'll just let other people go and kind of have their fun and, and I'll pick a different weekend. So I got right. roped into that, uh, and so I needed to find a place to go. So I, the only place that I found that had spots available was the Vermilion Campground in the Sierra National Forest, which, if you're not familiar, familiar with that, uh, that is, I, as I understand it to be, one of the most remote places that a paved road will take you in the Sierras. Um, and so I told my friends, I was like, Hey, I found the spot. It's, it's a bit of a haul, but it should be fun. And, uh, um, it's a bit of a road to get out there. It's a, it's a very small one and a half lane road. If you would even call it that, that winds around this mountain pass. And that goes section of road goes on for about 20 miles. You know, it was, it was fine for me. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a problem. I was, I'm well-versed in, in sort of things like that, but, Long and the short of it is it wound up being the most epic trip because uh, by by the group standards, it was a very, very remote spot and nobody's phone worked and the weather was cold and everybody got out of their element a little bit. Uh, but it was one of those trips that wound up being everybody talked about for a really long time after that because 
you know, uh, you just can't hop in your car, drive down the mountain and, and go grab a burger. You just, you can't, you're stuck at your campsite. Yeah. There's nothing else to do. You just have to deal with it. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Well, very cool. So how long after getting into the outdoors did you get into canyoneering? Uh, I got into canyoneering. It was probably about 20. I want to say it's probably about 2014. Um, one of my friends in uh, the, the Caving Grotto that, I, that I'm associated with uh, took me through one of our local canyons here in the Los Angeles area, Little Santa Anita. And it's just like a short half-day canyon, but you still get about 12 rappels out of it. Um, and at that point, you know, I had some experience rock climbing, not, not an extensive amount, but, you know, I was a kind of a regular gym rat and had been climbing outside a few times. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything that was shell shocking in like a negative or traumatic way or anything like that. Um, and I just really connected with it and had a lot of fun. Uh, it was kind of, I was kind of getting to the point to where I had been doing a lot of hiking and, I really like the idea of basically doing a hike that had very technical aspects to it, which is in some way you, I think you can think of canyoneering in that, uh, in, in some way, uh, actually Chris Brennan, the, the, the guy who did most of the first descents in the LA area and the San Gabriels in Southern California, uh, as he didn't even know it was called canyoneering. He, he, he called them uh, adventure hikes. <laughs> so he had all this, oh, wow. yeah, he had all this beta for, uh, for adventure hikes in the San Gabriels. And I remember even before I went canyoneering, like saw this, you know, stumbled across his webpage and saw pictures. I was like, what is this? A hike with ropes? This sounds awesome. <laughs> so I wound up getting right. sucked into it eventually. And um, yeah, it was just, it's just something that I've kind of periodically done for, uh, for several years now. Yeah. I used to try to describe it to some of my coworkers as just like hiking with obstacles. Yeah. That's, and they're like, what are these obstacles? Cause I would go to work and they're like, is your boyfriend beating you? And I'm like, first of all, I'm single, but no, look at where I went. And I would show them pictures and they're like, Oh, okay. And then, yeah, I was like, it's just obstacles you have to face. Yeah. That, things you've been thinking around <laughs> yeah that's that's a really good that's a really good way to put it it's i feel canyoneering is a little bit tricky to kind of break down for people that aren't really familiar with um adventure sports because it's like wait you're going down a canyon but you like you're kind of hiking and but you're not really climbing and it's just it, it can be a little difficult to kind of to kind of yeah. sum up the experience uh, I was in Yosemite a few years ago uh, with a group of friends and we were on the hike up to do Middle Earth. And this guy and his daughter, his daughter was probably about, I don't know, like seven or eight years old. And this guy comes up to us and he had like this sense of awe almost. He's like, are you guys rock climbers? And we're like, well, kind of. <laughs> so we're like, well, no, we're just going to repel down some, some cliffs down there and, and, and try to like loosely break down, like loosely explain what it is we were doing. And 
he just seems so confused. <laughs> I think he just wanted to go back yeah. and like tell his family and his friends, be like, yeah, I met these climbers in Yosemite and they looked really cool. It's like, sorry to right. let you down, buddy. But, have, but we're still having fun. I've been canyoneering for 10 years now and I still have friends who call it rock climbing and I try to correct them. I'm like, I do the opposite of climbing. We just go down things, but there's a point where it's just like whatever we're out having fun that's what matters yeah exactly exactly <laughs> it's a lot of fun um yeah yeah it is a lot of fun uh so were you a filmmaker before you were into canyon yeah i was so i you know mm-hmm. i studied i guess you could say like i studied film classically uh you know in the insofar as that like I went to film school and like moved out to LA to work in the film industry and uh, I still work in the film industry doing camera work to various capacities. Um, Now my focus tends to be more of like the outdoor and like adventure uh, filming aspect of of things just because it kind of best suits my interest. Um, but yeah, that was, yeah, my interest in film that kind of was originally kindled back when I was probably a a, a teenager. And then, um, it's interesting because I feel that moving out to California, my motivation was to kind of build a career in the film industry. But I think what wound up happening to an even more impactful degree is that I found this aspect of being outside and interacting with nature and in such an intimate way with ropes, basically like a lot of the stuff that I like doing outside, it's just, it has to do with ropes and because ropes will are tools that allow you to get into challenging, but also really rewarding spaces. Um, and that's not the only criteria of, of uh, activities that I uh, enjoy by any stretch of the means. I mean, I really enjoy backpacking and hiking and even off-roading and and things like that. Um, so although I came to California, as I said before, to kind of, to kind of build a career, it's like, I, I found this whole other, I tapped into this whole other, uh, love that I found that has been extremely impactful for me. And that was very unexpected. And so now you're kind of able to marry the two together, right? With the documenting outdoor activities. Yeah, that's absolutely the uh, that's absolutely the goal and intention um, uh, to be able to work on projects that kind of that kind of get me outside. Awesome. So, is First Descent your first and only film? Um, I had done it. Yes and no. Like I had done a few films before that. But they're just real shitty narrative films that are just badly written. And, you know, uh, they just, yeah, they're just, it, it takes a long time to get good at uh, figuring out a good way to put a film together. It's, it's a very, I've learned that to make something that's okay, it takes a lot of hard work and a, and a lot of skill. Um, and so, you know, I had kind of dabbled in like narrative stuff and it looked good. Like a lot of people are like, well, Justin, it looked good. I'm like, okay, well, I'll take that compliment <laughs> because it's the only one I think I'm going to get from this one. Uh, so, so, but first descent was like my my first foray into uh, into adventure filmmaking. Um, as far as okay, like we're going to figure out, we're going to take these cameras and 
put them in our backpacks and travel up this mountain with all this gear and and we're going to repel with our cameras and we're going to lock off on rope and and try to get some of the some shots that way and uh and that was basically the uh the, the approach and it's like okay uh this seems like a really great individual and a really great story to follow so let's just do what we need to do to to get the footage and make it happen Okay, so before we get too far into um, how it was filmed and how it was done, can you tell us a little bit about, for the people who don't know, um, what First Descent is? So First Descent is a, it's a film about a few different things. It is a canyoneering themed film, roughly, um, that kind of focuses on the life and times of a of, I guess you could call it a local legend, uh, an understated legend. Um, uh, this guy in our local canyoneering community named Scott Sweeney, who uh, is known for doing the lion's share of canyoneering first descents in Death Valley National Park. Um, aside from being known as just an all-around badass canyoneer, uh, he has a lot of other skills that he has basically self-taught um, and has a very wide range of interests. So as a result, uh, he's had a pretty colorful life. So the film kind of focuses on his self-taught abilities and his canyoneering in Death Valley. All of which are really epic. I really, really like <laughs> Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm really glad you did. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I found that it's. It was a difficult film to put together. It's still a difficult film to explain to people because it's kind of about so many different things. It's basically about Scott. So you'd be like, okay, well, this movie is about Scott Swainy. You're like, great. Well, who's Scott Swainy? And then it's just like, well. Um, it's just like, well, he's a self-taught rock climber. He's a self-taught caver. He's a self-taught cave diver. He's a self-taught canyoneer. Uh, he's a self-taught scuba diver. Like, I mean, it's just, it just goes yeah. on and on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The list just kind of keeps on going. Snake trainer, animal yeah, hunter. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, of, of, of all the people that have climbed El Cap, right? Like, I don't. I think that Scott's probably the only one who could just reach down and pick up a rattlesnake. Like that's just kind of the cross intersection yeah. of randomness and skills that, that Scott has. So he's just known locally for yeah. just having the craziest stories you've ever heard. And uh, also just the sense of wonder of like, how, how is this guy still alive? So I kind of tried to, to tap into that, um, in, into those aspects when I was making the film and kind of uh, just basically capturing a rough overview of uh, just the path that he's made for himself through all these different interests and how he's been able to kind of self-teach himself all these skills uh, and, and still manage to stay alive. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's impressive. And he's in excellent shape. Like, I remember I met him at the Uray Canyon Festival in, um, was it 2019? I think that's what it was when we were at that festival uh, where, where I met you. Yeah, and I can barely, like, 
survive at whatever altitude you raise at. And he's like, oh, I did three 14ers today. I'm like, dude's in his 70s. Like, goals. You know what I mean? I hope to be in that great of a shape when I'm that age. I think that's something that... Yeah, I think all of us are basically in that same boat. It's like, you know, I was I was doing Scott was turning 70 the year like when we were really hitting the canyons hard and doing first descent. And he was he turned 70 years old that year. And I think just collectively that tends to be I, I feel I don't want to speak for everybody in our community, but I get the sense that uh, people in our community who know Scott, like they look at him and they're just like, if he, if he can still be doing this stuff at that age, then I, then hopefully like th- then I can do it too. And I think that's a really great high watermark for, uh, for a lot of people that like to be outside. Uh, and it's also a, a good reminder to kind of take care of yourself and, and take care of your body because, you know, uh, you can hear all these crazy stories about yeah. Scott, how he was even kicking so much ass, even when he was in his 50s and 60s. Um, but, you know, you do have to take care of yourself if you're really going to kind of have that longevity. So you have to balance the craziness with, uh, you know, with some self-care. And I don't know. Uh, I, I honestly don't know how good Scott is at that. Um, I just think that he is a little bit of an anomaly as far as he can just get through the majority of stuff uh, when a, and be pretty low maintenance with how he kind of cares for his body. But, um, uh, you know, regardless of that, I think we can all still kind of be in the game when we're later on in life. And I think he's a fantastic example of that. For sure. So if you want to get into a little bit of um, what it was like filming the movie and what you guys had to go through, I know canyons themselves in Death Valley are pretty brutal with all the gear that you have to bring. And then you're bringing, it's got to be 100 pounds at least of camera gear, Fortunately, right? <laughs> you know, I would love to take all that, all that credit that you're giving me with carrying 100 pounds. But uh, fortunately for me, uh, technology is good enough to where you can get a pretty decent quality image camera that is pretty lightweight and has a pretty small footprint. Uh, so, okay, so, but all that it's, it, it's still weight that adds up. I mean, our packs are still probably with water and everything. I mean, they were still probably about 50 pounds or so. Um, and the range of canyons that we were doing had a, uh, had a particularly a particularly bad approach. Death Valley uh, overall is kind of known for having difficult and long and steep approaches. And this was probably on the, the more difficult side of the stuff that I had done in Death Valley. So um, part, of the, uh, part of the issue with filming is not just carrying the weight, but it is having a streamlined process for getting your camera in and out of your pack and if you're just going to be kind of carrying a stills camera and you can kind of just kind of pull it out and grab your shots and put it away that's one thing but if you're actually filming whole scenes then that's a lot a lot more work it's it's a little more complicated than just like the camera runs for a little bit longer it's like okay so you hike ahead of the group then you stop you pull all this crap out of your bag you get the shot everybody hikes past you 
okay, the shot looks good. Great. You put everything back. And then now you're at the very back of the group and now you're going to want to try to get another shot. So if you need to get another shot, you need to get up and over. You need to basically pass the group again. So uh, for a lot of the, the initial shooting that I did for the project, I, I did have somebody who was, was for some reason, uh, he was very willing to help me do this. So, uh, my friend Francis came out with me for a few, the first few rounds of shooting when we were doing these canyons. And so we were kind of able to leapfrog, but even then it's, uh, it's still, it's still a lot of work to get a little bit of material. Um, and one of the things that was made it a little, uh, well, it was, it was, it made it a little comical and interesting, but also more difficult was the fact that Scott really didn't want to do like repeat any canyons. Uh, so he'd be like, okay, Scott, well, I'd like to be able to like get a canyon that has like a big drop in it. And because it would be great for the film and, and yada, yada, yada. He's like, okay, well, I think this new canyon that I'm looking at over here, uh, I think it should have a pretty good drop. So let's go ahead and do that. And I think you guys will get some good shots. And then, of course, you go and you do all that work and get the canyon. And you get some good usable footage. But, yeah, it's not quite the drop that you needed for the climax of the film. So it's like, well, I guess I have to come out here and do it again. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, so on top of that, you know, you're not really able to get very many breaks because when everybody stops to take a break, you're kind of pulling the camera out of your bag to film and, um, you know, and part of it is just kind of communicating to the group that, you know, things are going to take a little bit longer. Um, some groups can be a little bit better about kind of listening to that and realizing that overall. Uh, some groups are just kind of like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. And then they just kind of get into canyon mode and then they just kind of go through the canyon. Uh, and then you also have to deal with, in my case, like my own complacency of like, I really don't feel like getting the camera out to get this shot. <laughs> I would rather just kind of be in Canyon mode right now, <laughs> but then you have this thing nagging at the back of your head. Like, you know, you need these shots. What if you need more of these shots? What are you going to do? What if you'd put all this work into coming out here and there's like four shots that you don't get, and then you're going to have to go on another trip and do this all over again. So, so that's a little bit of that internal dialogue kind of going back and forth and as well that you, that you have to deal with. Uh, but overall it mm -hmm. is just, it's a really great experience to kind of, uh, and, and, and basically all the, all the instances of, um, me being in a group and working on the project, um, the groups overall together, everybody was just really enthusiastic about, um, about helping and being a part of the project and helping me make sure that I got the shots that I needed. And so, um, you know, sh making a film is such an undertaking in addition to just navigating a first descent Canyon. This isn't a Canyon that we have beta for. This is a first descent. So it, it, that adds another dimension to the logistics, um, and to the, uh, the aspects of filming that, that you have to deal with. Um, and it's always great for it to become kind of like a, a group effort to, to get through the Canyon. Not only, not only that, but to actually, uh, get the footage that we need to get. Right. Um, was like daylight ever an issue? Cause I know that light, I mean, 
Death Valley canyons typically take a long time just because the approaches are so long and they're just so far out there. And then also the best time to hit Death Valley is in the winter when the days are short. So with filming taking longer, did that ever? Um, that, uh, yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, as far as daylight is concerned, it, it really wasn't, fortunately for us, it was not that much of an issue, just mainly because we, we knew at the top of the day what our hours were going to be for filming. And that gave us the ability to kind of plan what shots we need to get and see how far we can get through the canyon before uh, darkness became an issue. Um, one of the things that we did do to mitigate that a little bit was to uh, shoot the bulk of it, not in December or January when people really kind of lean into Death Valley canyons, but like March and April. So uh, the, so the payoff oh, okay. for that was like you had a little bit more heat to deal with during the day. Um, but overall it was still pretty comfortable and we were able to, to, to film a little bit further on into the day. So we weren't quite coming up to, okay, like it's four 30 and we have to put the cameras away because it was dark. It was like, okay, it's like six o'clock. Now it's too dark to, to shoot maybe six 30. Um, so we would, the, the offset of that would be, you know, we just have to make sure we had extra food and water because the days were a little bit more warm. Yeah. Were you also starting super early in the morning to get most oh, of that yeah. part out of the yeah, way? Yeah, we were waking up. I, uh, there, was, <laughs> there, were, there were definitely more than a couple of nights when we'd, you know, get out to the trailhead at one in the morning after, you know, we wrap up work Friday night and then get through L.A. traffic and then finally make it out to the desert. And then, oh, well, we got to get up at four in the morning. We got to get up at five in the morning and uh that happened uh that happened a couple times and and that was always a bit of a rough adjustment uh but we would always get up do an early start scott really likes to get uh an early start on the day especially doing these first descents with eight or ten mile long approaches and and regardless of that i mean you need to you need to you need to be getting up early if you know you're going to have a big day you may not know necessarily what's in the canyon when you're doing a first descent but uh, you know, you can, you can usually get a pretty good idea about what the approach is going to be. And that's, that's definitely something that you can factor in is approach time. And then, and then after that, then, you know, you're in the Canyon and God only knows what the hell is going to happen once you're in the Canyon. For sure. So how many first descents did you do with Scott to film the movie? I think we wound up doing about six or seven. And the, a lot of the canyons that are in the film were in the section of the Funeral Mountains, uh, which is kind of on the very far uh, east side of the park, kind of on like the Nevada side. Um, and that section of canyons, it was an eight mile approach and, and 5,000, I think it was about overall, probably about 5,000 feet of gain, four to 5,000 feet of gain. So um, and the majority of the gain happened at the end. <laughs> it, it happened at, at the end of the, at, at the end of the approach, once you kind of hit this ridge line and then you take this ridge line up. So I got, I got pretty familiar with that, uh, with that approach after a few trips. Um, and then fortunately we were able to kind of work some other areas as well. Uh, we did a Canyon in the, 
Black Range, that was a first descent, uh, which is arachnophobia, which has kind of become like a Death Valley classic. Um, and that was nice. That was a much easier approach and wound up being more of like the, the half day canyon kind of flavor. And we got a, a lot of great footage from that from that canyon as well. And so a lot of that wound up in the film. Um, in the film, uh, towards the end, Scott kind of mentioned, he's like, oh, yeah, this mountain over here, it's probably the steepest mountain in Death Valley. And uh, there's a couple cutaway shots of that of that peak. And that was the one that we shot a lot of footage at that was that had the, the definitely the harder approach. And I think we filmed about three, three or four canyons uh, in that section of that range. So, uh, so yeah, that, that one was definitely more challenging. So I'm curious when you say there's like a eight to 10 mile approach, is it something like you could hike in, do a base camp and hit a couple of the canyons in like a few days? Or is it like that far for each? Um, we actually did something similar to that uh, for one of the outings. Um, uh, that is a possibility. The, the issue that you run into is that you need so much water. Everybody is going to need like you're going to need at least like a gallon of water. Yeah. You're going to need a gallon of water, water. Each day, and then your food and everything like that. So even to kind of be able to establish a, a base camp, right. we did that one, uh, one weekend when we were out there and with where we were going up and then where we were coming down, I think we were able to shave off about two miles, uh, which, which, which was helpful. Um, but um, with that particular approach, two miles, it doesn't really give you that much elevation gain. So it's like, well, we shaved off, you know, we shaved off 45 minutes of, of walking or something like that. And so versus like all the work to kind of carry everything out there and establish that base camp versus just leaving every, just leaving everything in your damn car and just having everything that you everything that you uh, drove out there with kind of at your disposal. It, it, the, uh, it, it didn't quite yeah. seem for that, for that instance that the juice was quite worth the squeeze. I would probably rather hike two miles further to have conveniences yeah. and to carry yeah. and extra you, weight you know, you too. Can't, you, can't, you can't carry as much water. And uh, it's funny, the one time we did that, yeah. I, got, I got really sick uh at night and uh my sleeping pad my sleeping pad deflated i don't know if it's because i was water deficient or salt deficient or i drank some water that was a little funky because scott comes up with like you know a few of these gallons of water he's like oh i like dropped these here a couple days ago for us and some of it might have seemed maybe a little funky i'm not sure exactly what was going on because I was the only person that had an issue, so I I really have no idea. Uh, but I I got sick to my stomach, and I uh, and I, I I threw up, and I had to not do the second day canyon. I had to give the camera to uh, to my friend Francis, who had been helping me film, and I was like, I got to go back to the cars, guys. I'm sorry. So that was an interesting night. I was like throwing up all night. My sleeping pad deflated. So uh, so that was a fun one. <laughs> That's you know, you horrible. run some, you lose some. I've had some really great nights out. So if I have a, a few 
a few stinkers, ah, you know, it comes with the territory. My odds overall have been pretty good. I can't. We went to Costa Rica. It's a year ago now, um, this week that we're talking about this canyon, but um, right before COVID locked everybody down. And I was randomly sick like that, like throwing up, couldn't eat anything. And unfortunately, I was able to do, I think, four canyons out of seven. While oh, we were in Costa well, Rica. It's super sad. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, I would have yeah. rather do all seven with all my friends because two of the ones that I had to miss were half the reason we planned the trip, but. Costa Rica will be there yeah. and I will not be so sick. Next you know, time. I think, I think that's something that, that people kind of forget that <laughs> stuff like that can, can happen on a trip. And uh, I think that's really important to be mindful of uh, a couple years ago. I hiked the high Sierra trail and one of the backpackers and w- well, when you hike the high Sierra trail, you go through one of the high Sierra camps uh, at uh, uh, bear paw meadows. And uh you know, there's like a little restaurant there. Well, not really, very loose, loosely termed restaurant. There's, you know, a little outpost there. Uh, and I, I heard uh, one of the one of the people that I met on the trail were like, yeah, one year, a few years ago, I guess they had like a bad, a bad batch of brownies that like uh, that backpackers <laughs> were eating. And it got a lot of people sick. A lot of people out in the back country had bad food poisoning so it's something to keep in mind yeah it's something to keep in um, mind like if you if you eat the wrong thing or drink the wrong thing when you're out on a trip and you're in the back country you know that that could be a very unpleasant situation so fortunately for me the car was just two miles away and um it was actually kind of funny because uh i had uh going back to that experience when, when I was sick and and we were kind of camped a few miles away from the car, I was like, all right, like, I'm not going to do the Canyon. I tried to do the Canyon. I I tried to like put my stuff together. And then, uh, I just, I wasn't feeling it. So I had to tell everybody I I couldn't make it. Um, it's just like, all right, I got to go back to the car. So I like kind of rehydrated myself. And cause by that time, like the sun was up and, uh, you know, I wasn't in, I wasn't feeling the best. And uh, right before I had to start hiking back to the car, I threw up all the water that I had just drank. <laughs> so I had to walk like two miles through the open oh, desert man. back to the car, just being completely dehydrated. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I mean, God. fortunately, it was only two miles. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the end of the yeah. world. But I, I don't know. The, the, the irony on that is just not completely right. lost on me. I, it, it, it was a little bit funny, I think. Yeah. Well, cool. Do you want to tell us some of your favorite canyons in Death Valley? Oh man, or California um, or anywhere? Let's see. Uh, I I wind up sticking mostly to California just because I I don't I don't have uh, I don't have a lot of opportunity to to travel very far outside of California to do canyons. Um, but as far as the canyons go in Death Valley, uh, I really like um, Hades. Um, the direct variation of that is is nice. That's kind of a cool way to do that, where you can kind of park in the, the parking lot of Dante's View and then just kind of walk walk down the hill. Um, but overall, that's a really enjoyable. Um, that's a very enjoyable uh, canyon. 
Uh, I really like up in the northern section of the park, there's one called Heart of Stone, which is a little more difficult to get to. It's, it's pretty far out there, um, and it's about a half-day canyon, but it's really nice how it kind of slots up and how polished the rock is. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's very uncharacteristic uh, as to most other Death Valley canyons where there's a lot of loose rock and not really anything is polished. This one is actually, it feels a little bit more like a, like a Utah style slot, although it's not sandstone. I think it's polished limestone. A lot of it is. Um, that's a really nice one. Uh, there was one that we did when we uh, did uh, when we sh shot the film um, in the funeral range, and that one is Iron Man. That one was a lot of fun. Um, it's it's kind of difficult for me to say what canyons in and of themselves are the best canyons, because I think when you go through a canyon, whatever canyon it is, it's only about. I feel it's like 40% of the experience is actual, like the Canyon itself. I think the other 60% are the people who you're with. So if it's a shitty Canyon um, or if it's a bad Canyon and if uh, you have really great friends, then you're still probably going to remember it as a fun day. You'll probably be like, yeah, this is a pretty crappy Canyon, uh, but you'll have a lot of fun. Conversely, if it's a fantastic canyon, but the group isn't good, then you might have fun from the canyon, but it's it's not it's not going to be as good of an experience, I think, and as if you're with a good group. So um, part of it is also what's that? Yeah, I said I yeah, agree. I that's that's well the said. The ratio that I settled on was sixty forty. Forty percent is the actual thing that you're doing, and then the other sixty percent. Or the people that you're with. Um, two years ago, um, I actually led a first descent in Yosemite Valley of all places. Uh, who thought that there were more first descents to maybe do in Yosemite Valley? But um, uh, we did Sentinel Falls, which is a fantastic granite canyon that ends with a 500-foot rappel off of a huge waterfall. Um, that had managed to not have a first descent on it. Um, and so I put together a team for that and Scott was in the team and, uh, we had a blast that day. That was a lot of fun doing that Canyon. Um, and it was, yeah. So I've never done anything over a 300 foot rappel. And I know just in that amount of length, the friction between when you start at the top and you're at the bottom changes so drastically. What is the difference in a 500 foot? Um, it is still a lot. Um, it kind of depends on the weight of your pack and the condition of the rope um, or actually what, what the rope is or if your rappel device is newer or if it's older. So for instance, when we did that drop in Sentinel Falls, I had a pretty new rappel device and I only had to make like one adjustment on it. It's like halfway down. It was a, it was what, a, uh, it was a squirrel two. And I brought that one specifically so I could okay. easily add friction. Um, but, uh, if I, you know, however much friction I needed to during the, the length of that drop, we didn't know how big that drop was going to be. We knew it was going to be, it was going to be huge. Cause you could just look at the fall and it's like, well, 
that thing is massive. Who knows how long, how big that is. It could have been 500 feet. It could have been 700 feet. Like at a certain point, you just, you, you kind of, you kind of just don't know. Um, so did you just yeah, bring Scott's we, 600 with you? Or? And um, I carried it through that canyon. <laughs> that, that was my contribution was carrying, wow. carrying like a backpack full of rope for the last hotel. <laughs> And then we had other ropes too. I mean, we had like some two hundreds and, and things like that. So we only really needed that mm-hmm. that six hundred foot rope for mm-hmm. for that last drop. Um, and the majority of that drop yeah. just completely ate up that rope. I mean, that was that was definitely a definitely a big drop for sure. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So so the but back to your question, the the amount of friction is um, yeah, it, it it definitely is noticeable. Um, but if you know how to kind of rig up like an extra carabiner or something like that, you can, you, there are ways you can kind of add friction regardless of whatever device you have. There are ways that you can kind of add friction so you can safely descend that. Perfect. Are you in the water Um, the whole time or are you on the side of the waterfall? You are, you're in it for part of the time. Yeah. Uh, and that okay. is kind of dependent on what season you go uh, for that specific canyon for Sentinel Falls. You don't want to do it. You only want to do it when it's very low flow, just because of uh, where the anchors are located. And also, like, you don't want to have water pouring on you for 500 feet. Like, by the time you get to the bottom of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how well that would really be, going be painful for you there. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I was only able to go to Yosemite one time. It was in October for our honeymoon. And luckily they limit the number of people that were there. So that was rad. We didn't have to deal with like buses and a lot of people, but they also had a lot of trails closed for maintenance and things like that. And then there were some on the top that were closed for fires, but I'd really like to go back again and do like middle earth. Sounds really cool to me. Yeah, um, the just the, the standard like hiking and backpacking in Yosemite is also just amazing as well. Whatever whatever you can get permits for, you know, even stuff up around Tuolumne Meadows if you go during the summer, that's really great. Um, that's a fantastic place, not just a canyoneer, but even if you don't feel like doing ropes, if you just want to go out and do some hiking, it's fantastic for that uh, as well. But yeah, for canyoneering, it's, and of course for climbing, I mean, it is the Mecca that it is for, for climbing as well. I don't, yeah, I, I don't think anybody really needs to talk about that too, too much. I think it's pretty well known. Um, uh, but yeah, for, for canyons, the Middle Earth is great. You could have a, a fun weekend doing Middle Earth and then Sentinel Falls. Um, Sentinel Falls is, is, is the more advanced canyon, I would say, b- between the two. Um, most people, I'll, that canyon has mm-hmm. been done a few times now, and it's pretty common. That canyon being Sentinel Falls, it's been t- done a few times now, and uh, we stuck a rope in one of the upper rappels, and then at least one of the other groups that has done it since us has had the same issue around the same spot. So, you know, it'll definitely eat your ropes. Um, it, it, you'll definitely have to have to pay attention, and it's a little more uh challenging and like the classic canyoneering style than uh than than middle earth is but uh they're both fantastic um i would i would give sentinel falls probably 
I would say that's a four star Canyon. And I would say middle earth is a five star Canyon because just the waterway that you're, uh, the water course, uh, the nature of it and how polished the granite is. And the fact that like it ends with a rappel off of lower Yosemite falls. I mean, it's just, you can't as great as Yosemite as, as Sentinel falls is like, that's, that's pretty spectacular, but that's also just my opinion. And other people might, might rate things a little bit differently. Yeah. Nice. So are there any canyons or just yeah, there was that one that we did uh, that I did with Scott and my friend Adam Haydock. Uh, I think it was just the three of us. There might have been an additional person there. Um, this it was one in Death Valley called Scott wound up calling it Sinbad. And uh, it was just it was just a shitty canyon. Sorry, is cussing allowed? <laughs> I should have asked. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah totally it was just a shitty Canyon. It just wound up being like a couple of drops and it ended with this 400 foot drop. That was probably the worst rock I've ever seen at any rappel. Like the, like the water course, it, 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 it wound up being so inconsequential that it kind of like sputtered off the side of this cliff. And it would have been really difficult for like uh, rope pulls and, and things like that. Like we wouldn't have been able to get a clean pool to retrieve the rope. So we just basically at that point went off like the side of the cliff and uh, it was just rocks. Were, it was just a bunch of rocks stacked on top of each other. And uh, we had to be really careful. And it was one of those things to where it's like, all right, I'm going to do it this time to get off of this thing. But Nope, never again. So that was a pretty bad one. There's no reason why anybody should go back and do that unless you just want four like an awfully dangerous 400 foot rappel. But uh, what we did get from that, uh, Adam took a fantastic picture of Scott throwing the rope from the top of that really crappy drop. Um, that wound up being like the cover photo for the for first descent. So. If you go to the Vimeo page and if you see like the image for first oh, nice. and the Scott throwing the rope that came from that Canyon. So it was worthwhile just for that one thing. And um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you do a first descent of a Canyon that just sucks, you know, that you had the most fun that anybody is ever going to have in that Canyon. Cause it was fun. Cause you had all the problem solving to do because it's the first descent. But if you go through that with the beta, the Canyon is still going to suck, but also you won't have anything that interesting to figure out because it's already been figured out. So <laughs> yeah. So it's only good for a picture awesome. at that point. And then we already have the picture. So there's really no reason for anybody to go back there. Yeah. Well, you know, they say everything happens for a reason. So you went through the yeah, shitty canyon exactly. so you could get I'm that awesome picture. I'm not complaining. That's cool. <laughs> That's rad. Well, we're almost out of time here. Sure. So I just have a couple of questions that I like to end with. First of all, when I'm hiking, I get really, really hungry. So I like to know what everybody's favorite in Canyon snack. Okay, is. so I don't know if I can say if it's my favorite. Um, when I bring food, just my approach to food in general tends to be uh, more of um, a function, especially when I'm outside. It's like, okay, I like this. This is good. This will work. But 
it's just kind of built in. I don't have to think about it. So that being said, what I like to do is go to McDonald's and get their sausage and egg McMuffins because you can get two of them for like four or five dollars. They pack really well in your pack. So you just pack them away <laughs> and uh, it's good, hearty. You get, you know, you get your protein and, and all that in there. They last as far as sustenance wise go. I think it's pretty, it's worked out well for me. You know, it kind of hits the spot. So, so I do that. Nice. Um, you know, I'll bring little bars of chocolate and maybe like some gummy worms and stuff like that. Um, I always make sure I have electrolytes. Um, Cause that's always super helpful. But as far as the cuisine goes, I think my main point mm-hmm. is the, uh, is the sausage and egg McMuffins from McDonald's. I think that's my main contribution here. Nice. <laughs> okay. So how about your favorite um, after Canyon beverage? You know, it's trite, but I, I really like to go the, the route of a cold beer. Uh, a cold beer uh, in the cooler in the truck is just always a nice thing to kind of look forward to. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not like a huge IPA person yeah. overall, but it's kind of nice to have like that, like the citrusy hoppy bite that an IPA will have, like, like a decent IPA will have. So a nice cold one uh, after mm-hmm. a full day on a Canyon always sounds good to me. You redeemed oh. yourself because I'm definitely an IPA <laughs> fan. My little, my, my little, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that nice citrusy bite at oh, the end. Cool. Yeah. Perfect. Um, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go um, and why? I think I would like to go either to the Arctic or the Antarctic. Uh, I find those landscapes, what I've seen of them, just really enchanting. And uh, the amount of solitude and the view of the sky that you can get with the Aurora Borealis, that just seems really mm-hmm. uh, magical to me. Also, what the light will do reflecting off of ice and snow and, and things like that, it just maybe the experience would be different than what I build it up to be in my mind, but I just find those landscapes, what I see of them. I, they just look really enchanting to me and they look beautiful. Yeah, for sure. I agree. That does sound cool. Never really thought of it as a place to go, but maybe I've heard yeah, like, stories. I, of I adventures think what, what people have started cool. doing, maybe not on a wide scale, but a good way. There was a, uh, uh, a climbing trip that was done down to Antarctica by some guys a few years ago. And they basically had like these wind sail contraptions. So instead of hiking across the ice, they just basically threw up these sails and they just, they just basically sailed across miles and miles of ice. Yeah. It sounds awesome. You don't want to, you don't want to to crash on one of those things in the middle of nowhere in Antarctica and like this ice shelf or whatever it was that they were, that they were gliding across. But for an efficient means, efficient and fun means of transportation, I think that's probably about the best you can do. And it sounds like a shitload of fun. Hell yeah. Okay. Okay. Very last question. 
Is there any safety tips that you would like to give uh, us? Yeah, I got today? a couple. Uh, and this is one that I specifically am conscious of with going to Death Valley. So I think it's pretty topical. Um, a lot of many of the canyons that are in Death Valley are long, like 20 to 30 rappel long. So like, you know, 13 hour days long. Um, it is very, very important that you keep track of everybody that is in your group because uh, it can be very easy to get so spread out that you don't know if somebody's behind you. And if you pull the rope prematurely, you can leave one of your teammates stranded up canyon. Mm. Yeah, that that kind of That's happened to point. me in one canyon. Um, and it was fortunately not uh, not a huge canyon. We weren't super spread out. And there were people still at the bottom of the rappel. And we had a rope on us, so we still could have gotten down. So it wound up not being as much of an issue. But, um, you know, with a lot of these canyons, uh, the, the Long Death Valley canyons, you, you want a group of people, you know, uh, just so you can kind of distribute the workload. Um, but you just have to be mindful of who's in your group and kind of where people are mm -hmm. that that the people in the back always have a way to make it up to the front of the line and that nobody is leave no man behind, you know, like black Hawk down says. For sure. <laughs> um, I think that was, was there another one or was that the only one? one? I, there's other stuff that I could say, stay, blah, stay. Okay. No, there's other stuff that I could say about safety. Uh, but I think that's probably the most poignant one for, for being in, in death Valley. Safety is like something that I feel I could talk about for a long time. Cause it's kind of fun to stay safe and to be prepared for all these, yeah. these different things. Um, and I'm immediately going to backtrack on that uh, and make one last addition is uh, make sure that you have a, first aid kit and make sure that you have a satellite beacon of some varying flavor. But uh, I highly recommend the, uh, the two-way beacons where people can actually respond to you and you can give your rescuers detailed information about your situation. Those are important. I think I might do an episode just specifically yeah, on they are. They, rescue they beacons are and how important they are. And they are very useful. Um, and even if it's not a crazy situation, even if, you know, you, you, you know, you're just going slow through a canyon and you need to let people know uh, outside, you need to let loved ones know mm -hmm. that they don't need to be worried about you. That is, that's worth having just in and of itself, even if you don't have to hit the SOS button. Yeah, I did have search and rescue called on me once because we were supposed to be taking this route that was way faster out of fat men's misery than any other route, but we took the wrong one. And so it ended up taking us way longer and we were hiking out at sunset and we had a newbie with us Oh, and his girlfriend called search and rescue. And, you know, like, had we been able to communicate to her and be like, hey, we're behind schedule, like we're fine, but... You know, search and rescue wouldn't have to be called yeah, out and sure that over us. Is embarrassing. I, I would feel I, I would feel embarrassed. Like, great, somebody called these guys and we're sure. fine. Sorry, guys. 
that was yeah. eight years ago and I've learned a lot since then. Sure. But yeah, so I'm sure, sure. it happens since to um, a lot of people. Yeah, so that's that's what I have in regards to that. Um is there anything else you have? Okay. Not really. Um just if people want to find you, where can they find you? I'll have a link to the first descent movie um, yeah, in the show so notes. I don't have a whole lot otherwise. out there in the internet world. Um, the best thing to do, uh, if you're interested in seeing the film first descent, um, it is on Vimeo. Uh, so Vimeo.com. And then you can just search for first descent. Uh, the actual URL for it is Vimeo.com slash on demand slash first descent. Um, you can look for me on Facebook, uh, Justin Pugh, last name is P-U-G-H. Um, I'm not really present on Instagram or any of the other platforms, uh, just because I find them a little difficult to keep up with. So, uh, other than those things, other than those things, you know, maybe I'm one day sure. I'll be able to kind of figure it out and go that way because I know that it has its, its, its uses being able to be easily found. But, um, that day is not this one. Yeah. Right. I agree. Okay. You too, Charles. Thank you very <laughs> All much. All right. For well, having thank you me. very much for your time, Justin. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Canyons Are Calling podcast. Not really sure what happened to the audio there at the end and why Justin was answering the questions before I had asked them. Hopefully that doesn't happen in the future. I'm still learning. I want to give a shout out to a couple of five-star reviews that I got recently. Cowboy Fan says, this is a great listen. Thanks for taking this project on. I love to be able to learn and keep up on canyoneering while exercising. Great information. And Special Lady said, helpful. Thanks for sharing Stefan's tragic story. These kinds of stories help us keep safe. Thanks for shouting out, guys. That really warms my heart, and that's why I do this podcast, is to get tragic stories out there to keep us all on our toes. Also fun stories like this one with Justin, and in a couple weeks I'll have one with Scott Sweeney about his exploration of Death Valley again. So in the show notes I've got links to Justin's Facebook page, to the First Ascent Vimeo page, Um, Links to Death Valley Rope Wiki, so you can find out more about all of the Death Valley Canyons. I have links to the Seco Canyon bags that Dave and I were talking about in the intro. I also have links to our Facebook page, the Canyon You're Calling um, group page, as well as our Instagram page, Canyons Are Calling. I have links to Canyoneering USA, so you can read Tom's latest raves and shout out to me at work. Also look for some gear. Shout out to our awesome music guys, which are Tig Booth with the intro music. And this still drums in the background are provided by Chris Zollinger. I have links to both of those guys in the show notes. If you have ideas for this show or would just like to shout out to me, you can do so at thecanyonsarecalling at gmail.com. Well, the canyons are calling now. I gotta go.